want to um, speak to you about today is membership. We have people who are taking a membership course, um, and I want to speak on this topic for a little while. But my desire is to um, kind of inspire like a renewed appreciation for what it means for us to belong to Christ, what it means for us to be the church. You know, some of the, the things that are common in our life, we can easily begin to just kind of take for granted and not realize the extraordinary blessing, the extraordinary privilege that it is to be called into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and actually be have the door open for us to be able to creatively work together in the service of the Lord. I mean, <clears throat> it, is, it is gold, 100%, and it will not lose its reward. Jesus says a cup of cold water will not lose its reward. So every opportunity that we have to be able to um, build on this foundation and enhance it and to extend it and to reach out to others and use all the things that God has made available to us. That is totally what we want to do. That is the most important thing, um, certainly to me. So the, the title of this message will tell you, so I want to, again, I, my, my topic is membership, but it'll take us back. And, and what I want to look at this morning is just the teaching about the church. It's called, uh, theologically, it's called ecclesiology. Okay, it is the, the doctrine of the church. And we're going to kind of go into that and, uh, you know, go through different uh, sections in the Bible. But I want you to notice that title there, the church, Humanity 2.0. What I mean by that, although you probably got it already, is that through the church, God is recreating the entire human thing. Okay, he created it first via Adam and Eve in the book of Genesis, it went south um, immediate, almost immediately or as soon as the, uh, the adversary came into the mix. Uh, but that was not a surprise to God, okay? God was not shocked by the fact that Adam and Eve fell into sin and temptation. It was all foreknown and all fully accounted for. How would I know that? Well, the Bible says that Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So this had to all have been known, worked out, and of course, God being God, he knows everything. Uh, and so the, uh, the, uh, the original project, um, the Adam project, we'll call it, okay, was a terrible disaster, has been a terrible disaster. The record of human history is a terrible record, war and fighting and just terribly awful, wretched things that have been part of our world. You have, you have to search real long and real hard to find any place on earth or any time in, in human history where something like really was good and was flourishing. Almost without exception, you have massive oppression, um, massive, massive inequity, um, tremendous fear. I mean, all, all kinds of problems that have existed from the beginning um, of, our, of, of the human race. Um, largely because of the fact that Adam and Eve, once they compromised their relationship with God and fell into sin, then the whole thing came under the lordship of Satan. Satan is now, the Bible says, the God of this world. And of course, as the God of this world, he fulfills what Jesus said about him. He says, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And so our world is characterized by stealing, killing, and destroying the only thing that 
has ever changed that equation is the progress of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The progress of the gospel in Western civilization gradually um, addressed and ameliorated social injustice, um, wickedness, oppression, not completely because not all people are turning to Christ, but as more and more and more people turned to Christ, the culture itself improved and and the, and, and the Western, and Western culture itself became Christianized. We happen to be born in the best incarnation of that whole thing so far. Our founding fathers, that's why they said we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And to secure these rights, government exists. Governments exist, and they, they, this is the first... Um, government compact or contract that identifies the fact that every human being has rights and that those rights must be respected and that those rights come from God. And that is so critical. If man extends your rights, man can take your rights away. This, is, this was certainly the story of the French Revolution. Uh, they, had, they wrote three different charters along the way, and each one of them turned into a terror and a bloodbath because they, they were banking, all, they, they were putting all of their capital on human reason and human virtue, and it failed time and time again because we're fallen and we will inevitably go in, into a sinful and self, self-serving state. And so the, their, their ideals about what would support their revolution completely failed and it turned into a disaster. Um, so well, but our the experiment that has happened here, and that's why it's so important for us to love this country. Okay, it's, it is so important to pray for this country. It is so important to be a believing person in this country. To let people see your light, the light that shines in you, and give glory and thanks to the God who has created us and brought us into His fellowship. Because, um, well, one of the verses that will come up in this. Um, morning's message is you are the salt of the earth, says Jesus, Matthew chapter 5. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its savor or if the salt loses its saltiness, it is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. Think of that. If the salt loses its savor, it is, there, it is thenceforth good for nothing. And, and the savor, of course, is our ability to affect in a cleansing and purifying way. When he talks about salt, it was the thing in the ancient world that kept things from going rotten. Okay, that was the only way that meat could be kept or things could be kept. They had to be salted down and then that would preserve them. So Jesus is saying to us, you are the salt. You are what keeps the world from going completely rotten. And we see it happening all around us. And, we, and, and, um, and, and I understand, I, I presume everyone here does, that the church has not been strong. I'm talking about the church itself, like the universal church or the you know, big picture church or the capital C church. There are always individual pockets. There are always remnants of faithful believers. There always will be. By the grace of God, I want us to be that from now and always, but a, a large part of the church has just kind of abandoned the scriptures and abandoned Christ. And, and so because of the weakness of the church, I think that is the primary reason why the culture is going into such deep darkness. 
because people have no regard for the only message that can help them and save them and bring them to the place of truth and righteous living, and that is the gospel. So not having that, there really is no hope. If you, can try to, you can try to make a New Year's resolution or say what a good person you're going to try to be or what changes you're going to make or what habits you're going to drop or something like that, but I'll bet you they will be back again shortly. Okay, but if Christ works in your life and things are yielded to him, that's the ticket. And it's not a matter of me giving up or changing or making, it's a matter of me yielding all things to the lordship of Jesus and having a heart's desire to want to please him. That's what really affects the entire working of God in and through our lives. Thank you. That's some good preaching, Pastor Steve. Anyway, so the church... And this idea of humanity 2.0, in, in, through the church, which is the thing that God, that, that the Lord Jesus himself created, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So before I get to membership, I wanted to go back to the bigger topic, which is the church. And then with this idea in mind, humanity 2.0, this is God saying, I'm, I'm starting all over again. I'm building myself a family. We're starting from my son, the Lord Jesus. He's the first member. He came down here to declare this thing. He came down here to give his life as a sacrifice so that rebels and sinners could turn away from that and could return back to the Lord and again be brought back into fellowship as children of God. What a deal. What a deal, right? So, Here's a verse of scripture that kind of speaks, or that, that not kind of, but does speak very much to this idea. It's a verse that we hear a lot, but it's important that we would kind of think of it in a different context this morning. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Okay, that's deliberate language. He is a new creation. Creation. Okay, you were originally created by your mom and your dad at some point, and you have been raised in this world, and obviously that's your history. But in Christ, something brand new is happening in which God is creating something completely new and completely fresh. God created all, all the things that are, are around us in the seven days that are recorded in the book of, or six days in the, recorded uh, for us in the book of Genesis. But he, and, then, and then he got to the Sabbath and he rested because his works were ended. Okay, but right now God is doing a whole nother realm or a whole nother work of creation. And if you have come to the place of having faith, having saving faith in Jesus Christ, then you are a part of this new creation. God is building you into it and God has purpose in that. And that's what we want to share with you this morning and take a look at. So therefore, if anyone is in Christ. He is a new creation. Say, I am a new creation. The old has passed away. Everything has become new. I am a new creation. The old has passed away. Everything has become new. Everything will continue to become new because that's the only kind of thing that God does, a new thing a fresh thing, a specific thing, a thing that is designed and tailored just for you. And another person cannot do it. And that's why it's important for us to be on track with the Lord, to be mindful of what, what we 
believe he's trying to say to us to be open and receptive to what it is that he's speaking into our lives, and then to have faith and step out and trust him as we seek to obey uh, what he's speaking into our lives. So if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is humanity 2.0. The first humanity will exist on the dustbin of history. Nobody from that entire project will make it through. The only people who will stand eternally secure and together with Christ in heaven are people who have found the new life that is offered through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So, again, the topic I, I want to approach for the next few week is, weeks is membership, and uh, we want to hopefully communicate a renewed appreciation for what it means to belong to Christ, to be in Christ, <clears throat> and to understand what a privilege it is. That, that, I hope, would be the most motivational thing that you would say, man, I want to use my time, I want to use my talents, I want to use my resources, I want to use my riches, my treasure, whatever I have, I want to use it to my best ability to serve the kingdom purpose. Because all other purposes will vanish and will vanish away, but this one purpose, this is the one thing that will stand when everything else has fallen. <clears throat> now, it literally took centuries for uh, church leaders to, um, to agree as to orthodox theology. Um, they argued about it, they debated it, um, and, and it took them, it, for instance, it took probably two to three hundred years for the church to agree on the person and nature of Jesus Christ. It wasn't until the third, fourth century um, AD that the church met and codified a creed, and in that creed began to explain, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, born of a virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. Okay, these things were like codified into these creeds that then people could learn and quote so they could begin to understand the truth about the word of God. So it has taken a long time for all of these different doctrinal understandings to be worked out. Um, it took, let me see, the, the, the big issue for the first few centuries was the person and nature of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was abundant controversy. Church leaders debated whether, debated his deity, debated his humanity, debated the idea that he's both in one human being. Uh, they debated the extent of his redeeming work on the cross. This is all known in theology as soteriology, the, the doctrine of salvation. And so it, it, it has taken some time for the church to actually, you know, work through the, the, the message of Scripture to be able to nail down and identify doctrinal truth on, on many different issues. In the 4th and 5th century, the discussion revolved around the Trinity. At the time of the Protestant Reformation, the big issue was salvation. The Roman Catholic Church said that your salvation came if you received grace through the sacraments of the church. The Reformers said, wait a minute, that's not the way it works. And the reason why there was a Protestant Reformation, in case you didn't know, is that all of a sudden the Bible became available to everybody. Prior to that time, the Bible was strictly the property of the church itself, the Roman Catholic Church. The church itself had translated into Latin. If you didn't have an education, you didn't read or speak Latin. So it was something that was utterly inaccessible for people everywhere. And so people were just simply like following along, doing what 
um, you know, the clergy and the priesthood told them needed to be done. And then finally, when you get to the 1500s you <clears throat> and the printing press is created, people are reading the Bible for, them, for themselves and realizing there's problems in that theology. And so the reformers um, kind of contended, and actually, they, you, know, you know, I'm sure historically some, some aspect of the story in which, you know, they rose up to challenge the authority of the Roman Catholic Church. Some were burned at the stake. Some, some suffered great opposition and persecution, but it started a whole brand new movement, ultimately a movement that affected peoples and governments. It was, in, it was very imperfect, but it was progress. It was something that was moving along, and that was because, specifically because the Word of God now was uh, made available to people. <clears throat> so it's amazing that it took 1,500 years but it was only at that time that the Bible came into the hands of the common people and uh, common people's leaders. So over the next few weeks, I'd like to dig into what the Bible talks about or uh, has to say about membership. And this has been for me and for us as a church, uh, for those of you who have been around for a while, kind of a challenging issue because um, it always kind of raised certain questions. Is it necessary to be part of a formal membership? Is there any place that the Bible commands that I become a member of a church? How does the New Testament address this issue? Is membership mandated in Scripture? Um, what should the requirements for membership be in a local church? What advantages does members, membership um, confer? These are things we talked about for years, kind of like being a little cautious as to when should we pull the trigger on this thing or should we just let people be and the people who want to be here, they'll be here and they'll put part of this body. So there, you know, there was, there was pros and cons on both sides of the, um, <clears throat> of the issue. And it takes time and it's not easy to wade through the opinions and voices of numerous church fathers, theologians, Bible commentators. And there's tons, even if you get into all this stuff, there's, there's tons of different conflicting views on that and every other do doctoral topic out there. So in the end, we finally decided that membership was a useful, beneficial, and valuable thing because it gave the church an opportunity to orient and to instruct people who were new to the faith as to who Jesus Christ is, what salvation is, how and where it's presented in the Bible, what the Bible itself is, what the church is, how the church functions, who's in charge, who has the, the reins of responsibility, uh, what we believe, all this stuff. Um, we're, we, we finally came to, to, the, uh, to the realization that Having a membership would give us the opportunity to have a structure that people could actually apply themselves to and kind of be brought in, welcomed into us as a church. By the way, oh, two things I, two things I forgot. One is I have to really congratulate this church because you guys, you always reach out to somebody who's new here. When, I, when somebody new shows up, um, there will always be a certain amount of people, but let's keep that going. Let's keep that alive, because that, that's very important for us as a church. And the other thing, I actually had left myself a sticky note um, <laughs> to see what good that did, okay? But I, um, before I go any, any further on, I just really want to say thank you for last Sunday. And I was completely blown away. I wasn't surprised. I knew it was coming. I knew something was coming. Um, <laughs> But, but I was so, so blessed and by all of the, all the folks who got up, and I know that's like the most uncomfortable thing in the world. You got to, you know, it, it's got to be the Holy Spirit moving you to do that because everything in our nature says, I'm not doing that. I'm not getting up talking in front of anybody, right? And so for um, 
So many of you to get up and say such kind things. I really appreciated it. I got so many cards, and, and, and you were so generous in terms of your gifts and all of that. Completely blew me away. And then we, uh, Lorraine and I went through the cards and just read through them, and so many of the cards were like so touching, really, really, really touching. And uh, so I just really felt really loved and appreciated. And so thank you so much for putting that whole thing together. And thank you. It was, it was a joy. Anyway, um, so um, I, the way we kind of came into the, uh, the way I was persuaded, I think, or the, the, maybe the final thing that persuaded me, had to do with a book by Rick Warren, which was very popular in the 90s, called The Purpose Driven Church. And in The Purpose Driven Church, Rick Warren, he brought a lot of clarity to the church. And the church, the ch- church can easily become like a, ready, fire, aim situation or organization. You know, just running around, stomping out breath. There's always an emergency. There's always a tragedy. There's always a problem. There's always, you know, something is always going on. And so you can just kind of run yourself ragged trying to, you know, put out little brush fires and stuff like that. And oftentimes it works against having a systematic understanding of how is the church supposed to work? What is the church supposed to be doing? What is it supposed to be attending to? And so I've, I've got like a bit of a, a compilation of uh, Warren's kind of approach to things, but essentially Rick Warren in the book Purpose Driven Church identified five areas or five purposes for the church, which he said were primary. He said worship, fellowship, discipleship, ministry, and evangelism. Okay, worship, fellowship, discipleship, ministry, and, in, and, uh, and evangelism. And it brought insight and order and structure to what had previously been somewhat vague. I mean, even after going to Bible, two different Bible colleges and being really interested in being a Bible student and all of that, it, it just helped to clear the muddy waters and, and brought, brought things into, uh, uh, made, made, uh, it brought insight into the whole matter. So um, <clears throat> it answered the question, What does God, now that I've become a believer, what does God want me to do with the rest of my life? Okay, it's one thing to come into this and all of a sudden find that you have faith in your heart and you, and, and you are finding yourself being persuaded given the whole idea of what the Bible is and who Jesus is and what he's done um, for us in this world. So you, you open your heart, you receive that. So the next question that comes up is, now that I've become a believer, what does God want me to do? with the rest of my life. And he, offered the, he's, he offers these answers, and I'll um, share them with you this morning because, again, they are, they are kind of part of this whole foundation of the idea of what is the church? What is it here for? What is its function? What does it do? So <clears throat> what does God want you to do with the rest of your life? Number one, God wants me to center my life around him. Okay, if you are a believer, God wants us to center our lives around him. We're told in Matthew 22, when Jesus is asked, what is the, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. So God wants me to center my life around him. And the first purpose, this first purpose is called worship. That's kind of, we, you know, we think of worship as getting together and singing songs. I say this a lot. But worship really has to do with the surrender of myself. The thing you surrender yourself to is the thing you worship. 
that, that's an important statement, really, not because I'm saying it, but it's just true. The thing that you surrender yourself to is the thing that you worship. And that can be money, and that can be sex, and that can be friends, and that can be any number of things that I give myself over to. It can be substances, right? The thing that you surrender yourself to, that is the thing that you worship. And so to the extent that we have surrendered our lives, and that's what the Lord is always working on. Can, will you trust me with that? Will you, will you yield that over to me? And, and, and what faith really is, is um, the expectation that if I trust the Lord with whatever it is that is uh, difficult for me in this world, he has the power and the capability to be able to make things right. And with the, choral, with, with the uh, attendant corollary, and I don't. I have, the, I have the ability to screw them up even more than they are now. <clears throat> so what it is that you surrender to is what it is that you worship. So this first purpose, this idea of surrendering to the Lordship or centering my life around him, um, is called worship. Okay, <clears throat> second one, what does God want me to do with my life? God wants me to learn to love his family. Okay? You come into a church, one of the things that is often difficult for a believer is once they get into church, first, the first thing that happens is a person will become a new believer and they'll start coming to church and expect it to be heaven on earth. Everyone is a saint. Everyone is a super pure and good character. And, you know, no one ever does anything selfish or rude or anything like that. <clears throat> okay, we, we tend to think, we, you know, when you're first a believer, you, you're first a believer, you come into the church. And many people have mentioned this to me. You, you watch people and they're just singing and they're praising God. And you think like, wow, that person must really be up there someplace or really out there someplace. Man, someday. Or you thought like, that's not me. I'm, I'm, I'm never, I'm maybe, maybe like, you know, a little bit, you know. A little something. Who, who is it? Tim, uh, who's the comedian? Hawkins. Yeah, Tim Hawkins, where he talks about the rocking the baby thing and, and the touchdown, you know, all these different, all these different worship moves, you know, that, uh, that he identifies. But, <clears throat> why, yeah, washing the window, that's another one, right? <laughs> Thanks, Karen, yep. And so, <clears throat> when, what does God want me to do? He wants me to learn to love his family. And that's not always an easy thing because we are all still a work in progress. And we still got some rough edges to be rubbed off, and you know what I mean? And you can be disappointed by people in the church, and it can be a bit disillusioning. Um, but, God, but a big part of my making progress in all of this is to learn to love the people that God brings my way, particularly as that relates to the church. So God wants me to learn to love his family. Here's a passage of scripture from the book of Hebrews. Let us not give up the habit of meeting together. Instead, let us encourage one another, Hebrews 10.25. This second purpose is called fellowship, okay? We derive fellowship out of the interactions and relationships that we build uh, in the fellowship of the church. Um, oh, I want you to notice this verse of Scripture. Okay, this is from Acts Two, and it really launched something that we did years ago, but we don't do anymore, but we're going to bring this back because I think this was a really worthwhile exercise for us as a fellowship. And I kind of, the, that's, that's really what's underlying my entire thought process of, of where, these, where I hope these messages will take us because 
We're living in this really strange time, strange technology, strange philosophy, or new technology, strange philosophies all around us. And it's really important for us to understand who we are, why we are here, and what we are called to do and be. And it may very well become very difficult to pull that off as time goes along, because I think that there will arise much more opposition. There are people who literally hate everything that this is about. They hate everything, they hate the Bible, and they hate everything about God, and they would do anything to try to undermine or destroy all that the church is. And so anyway, I wanted to get back to this idea. What we used to do in Acts chapter 2 and 42 is we used to have everybody to invite some other family from the church over to their house, let's say on a Sunday or Friday night or whatever, and then do four things, have dinner together with them, have communion together with them, pray um, together with them, and just have a time uh, and and do some reading in Scripture, okay? But just to kind of build the friendships that we have. Now, of course, you don't want to invite the person who's your best friend. Fair enough, right? You'll want to invite the person that maybe you're just kind of getting to know a little bit because we want to use that time to deepen the fellowship. But here's the passage from uh, that section. It says, those who believed were baptized and added to the church. They joined with the other believers and committed themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. They worshiped together regularly at the temple and met in small groups and homes. That's another thing that we're going to pursue is small groups and wanting to get everybody like attached to some small group that meets on a regular basis. It's so important. We've, we have kind of tried to do this, but I think we just didn't give it enough energy. We just didn't have enough determination to actually make it happen. This isn't going to happen next week, but I, I would hope by the time we get to next year, we would um, be able to have a coordinated and organized um, system whereby people can attach to small groups, because that, that's really important. I'm, well, I, I can't go off on that right now. But anyway, <clears throat> that, you know, things to come, TBA. Now, notice the order in that passage of Scripture. Those who believed, okay, so God wants me to believe in Jesus, were baptized, okay, next he wants me to be baptized uh, and added to the church. They joined with other believers, right? So, The third thing is God wants me to join a church family. Number four, and committed themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. Four, God wants me to commit to regular worship. And five, they connected to a small group fellowship and met in small groups in homes. Right, so in that one little passage of those few verses there, 42 through, uh, 40, 41 through 46 in Acts chapter 2, we've got this whole order of things, which is I think, pretty amazing, that God wants me to believe in Jesus, be baptized, join a church family, commit to regular worship, and connect to a small group fellowship. Are you with me? Yes. Okay, good. Okay, number three. God wants me to cultivate spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity doesn't just happen by accident, okay? When we are born, the Bible uses the, the, the idea, the concept <clears throat> of babies. A person who is born again is a baby in the Lord. Peter says, as newborn babes, therefore, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. 
okay? But then he talks to the people in Hebrews, and he says, you guys are still babies after all this time. You ought to be teachers by now. You, you are still drinking milk when you ought to be eating meat. And strong meat, he says, belongs to those who are of full age, who by reason of exercise, who have, who have had their senses exercised to discern what is good and what is evil. And so God wants, God wants us to move out of spiritual, you know, um, infantdom and into spiritual maturity, but you have to apply yourself in order to uh, grow in the Lord. Now, we have the second round of courses of, of our discovery series, series is, um, is this very thing, uh, developing or cultivating the gifts that lead to spiritual maturity. And I may present that here as, a, as kind of a series of Sunday morning messages, or we certainly will run it one way or another, but everybody should do that. That is every bit as important as membership and um, certainly cultivating spiritual maturity. The third one has to do with the third in the series, the, the develop, life development series. The third one has to do with discovering my ministry, my gifts. How am I particularly shaped to be able to serve the Lord? What kinds of things can, um, you know, are, are kind of natural for me to attend to? So God wants me to cultivate spiritual maturity. Here's a passage that says, let us go on and become mature in our understanding as strong Christians ought to be. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1. This third purpose is called discipleship. What Jesus wants the church to do is make disciples, not converts. I mean, converts is a starting point, but it's making disciples that really makes the, uh, the long-term difference in people's lives. People can get saved, and it, you know, it can just be like an emotional response to something that they've heard, but the, the person who, whose heart has really been turned and brought into, um, in, into fellowship with God, that person wants to be a disciple. Jesus said, go into all the world, making disciples of all people, teaching them all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you until um, the end of the age. So discipleship is the process, and um, <clears throat> that's, what, that's what we're functioning on there. In uh, 2 Corinthians 6.1, he says, in our work together, oh no, wrong, we're not there yet. Um, Oh, here's the, okay, number four. Yeah, four usually comes after three. Okay, number four, God wants me to contribute something back. God has given each of you some special abilities. Be sure to use them to help each other. First Peter 4.10, this purpose is called ministry. Okay, so you can see that, there, again, there, there is a starting point in which a person comes to faith, but then there's just a whole series of steps that God wants us to attend to so that we can grow strong in our relationship with the Lord and be fruitful for him. Um, <clears throat> David said in Psalm 116, what can I give back to God for all the blessings that he's poured out on me? What can I render unto the Lord, he says, for all the blessings that God has poured out on me? And he answers his own question. He says, I will take the cup of salvation, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. So his, his way to respond, his way to respond to God's goodness was to get more of his goodness, right? Not to try to present himself as, as, as this or that. It was just to seek for more of the goodness of the God who had been so good to him. So um, God wants me to... Gifts contribute something back. Of course, this has to do, again, special abilities, uh, resources, uh, time, talent, treasure, all of that 
fits into this category. And then uh, the next one, number five, God wants me to tell others about his love. Through Christ, God has made peace between us and himself. And he gave us the work of telling everyone about the peace we can have with him. So we have been sent to speak for Christ. Okay, the Second Corinthians chapter 5, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were, were reaching out to you through us. We are appealing or urging you, be reconciled to God. This is, once you have come to know the Lord, once you, you yourself have experienced the blessing of what it means to be a believer, the peace that comes from that, the sense of purpose and meaning and, and life meaning that comes from that, the joy of interacting with God and actually seeing a prayer answered or something, you know, if, or his hand manifest in some way, then the motivation is, you know, don't hide it, divide it. Don't keep it. Like somebody once said, don't keep the faith, give it away. And so it is very much on God's heart that we would tell other people about his love. We're the only advertisement that he's got down there, down here, right? You and I are the walking advertisement for the kingdom of God. And so he wants us to tell other people what God has done for us and about his love. This fifth pur purpose is called witnessing. It could also be said to be called um, evangelism. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, well, I think I have that in the next slide. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 says this, In our work together with God, we beg those of you who have received God's grace not to let it be wasted. Is that possible? Absolutely, right? He says, we urge you, in, in, in a translation that might be closer to one that you have, he says, we urge you, therefore, brethren, not to receive the grace of God in vain. Okay, so it is possible that we can be in the flow where the grace is coming, and, and yet it's not affecting our, our lives. It's not changing our, our situation in life because we are just not actively engaged in a, in a reciprocal type of thing where we are receiving grace, applying that to the realities, the difficulties, the challenges, the hardships, the hurts. Look, that's just what the life on planet Earth is all about. It's hard down here. It hurts down here. It's often difficult down here. Sometimes it's good. There are some good times. There are some times when it's refreshing, but there are a lot of challenges. There are a lot of troubles. There are a lot of trials. What does Paul say in Acts chapter 14? He stopped by and he told the church that it is through many tribulations that we must inherit the kingdom of God. So things are going to come along in your life and everybody's life. And it, it's important that at that time we can operate in the grace of God, in the favor of God, and operate in the wisdom of God. It, so we are operating actually in the principles of godliness. And when you operate according to God's word, you will find that God himself can kind of hold the perimeter around you. Okay? God himself can make the way for you even when there doesn't seem to be a way. So it's important not to receive the grace of God in vain or Wasted. So <clears throat> with these purposes in mind, we developed a process of membership whereby people who were new to the Christian life <clears throat> excuse me, could be guided and instructed, instructed as to what the faith is and how it should affect our lives. So we uh, laid out the Discovery membership, and if you haven't taken that, uh, you want to sign up for that. This will not be kind of a substitute for that because I'm kind of taking things in a slightly different direction than... Um, 
than where they were. I'm not covering all the same material uh, that I would have covered in the, uh, in, in the manual. So that's a good thing to take. And this is just supposed to be a little rah-rah session to get us pumped up and, get us, and to get us encouraged that we want to give our best to this thing. That's it. We want to give our best to this thing, not because I want to impress Pastor Steve or Jewel or any of the people, Jamie, people of the church, elders and stuff like that. I want to give my best to this thing because, I, because Jesus gave his best to me. And since Jesus gave his best at his all and everything that he had and laid it all down, then what would I possibly give except the best that I got? And that's probably about <clears throat> all the time that we're going to have. I, I can go on for another hour or two probably. Um, so we, we'll, we'll need another message um, in order to get back to this idea of the church. Because again, the, the concept here is if we understand what the church is, then we want to understand what characterizes the community of the church. So out of the church, the church universal, this grand picture of this you know, uh, of, of the thing that Jesus has established, this worldwide uni universal picture of, of this thing called the church that Jesus established. Out of that, we want to draw out principles that will show us, okay, how is the community supposed to actually um, interact with itself? What kinds of things, in other words, how would you know whether you're being a good Christian or not unless we kind of lay it out and say, okay, this is what we're aiming at. If we don't know what we're aiming at, we'll never know, we'll never know if we actually hit it. So we'll want to talk about the community, and out of that discussion, we'll take it to membership. Are you with me? All right, good. So let's pray, and, uh, and I just want you to think about and ask, um, <clears throat> ask the Lord... For, for the grace that is needed for you to move out of the present place where you are, I'm hoping and trusting that that's a good place. But there's places to go and there's people to meet and there's things to do. So we don't want to just stay stationary forever. We want to still make more progress. How, Lord? How can we make more progress in our faith? How can I attend to your, your truth and your word in a better way so that I'm more equipped because, man, that's where, the, that's where the real power and strength is, to really know the Word of God. You can never know it too well. You can never read it too often. You can never memorize too much of it. And really, like, you know, how shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto, according to your Word. With my whole heart have I sought you. Oh, do not let me wander from your commandments. And then he says, um, uh, I forget that third part of that thing. Oh, well. <clears throat> it's in there somewhere. <laughs> anyway, Lord God, we um, just thank you for this morning. I thank you for this church. I'm so blessed with what you're doing here. I'm so amazed how it has all happened. And, and, and I feel like we're just getting off the ground. And there's so much yet to be done. We have a community here. We have a bunch of communities around us. We got West Milford. We got Jefferson Township. We got Rockaway Township. These are gigantic communities filled with people. There shouldn't, be an, there shouldn't be one empty seat in this place on any given Sunday morning. How many would say amen to that? Amen. Right? There shouldn't be one empty seat. We got a beautiful place, and this place should be utterly filled with people because there's a ton of lost people out there, right? But who's going to reach them? Is it my job to go to everybody's? No, it's all of us. It's all of us having a mindset to say this thing 
is the most important thing that's going. And I want to be able to be instrumental to help other people find their way into this thing called the church. That's especially true if you, and I'm presuming this is true for you, if you look at the church and the fellowship of the church and kind of the order of the church and just the tone of the church, if you look at all these things and you say, you know, something's good here. It's good here. It's comfortable here in the sense that like I feel at home and at peace. Um, I feel like Things are taught that are proper, that should be taught. Uh, things are emphasized that should be emphasized. If, if, you, if that's your impression of the church, well, then we want to give this thing to somebody else, right? We want to make this available to somebody else, so it's for all of us. So, Lord, motivate us in terms of our service for you and our service for the kingdom. We probably, most of us, don't think that we are all that much. And sometimes we're intimidated and hamstrung just by our own insecurities. But in reality, it isn't about what we are. It's about what you are. And because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, our lives inevitably will produce fruit if we just make ourselves available to do the work of the Lord. So motivate us. Holy Spirit, come, come upon us, we pray. Here and now, right as we close the service, come upon us, um, we pray, as we go about our daily stuff. Help us to be vigilant and watchful so that we are not just simply um, offending you or grieving you or quenching you or quenching your entreaties, your gracious entreaties into our life. Help us to be open and receptive and attentive and obedient and yielded so that we can see your mighty works accomplished through these otherwise puny and insignificant little lives of our own. So we pray all this. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. And we pray that you will just allow these few messages to stir us up and stimulate us as to the wonderful privilege that is ours to belong to you and to be part of the church. This thing has the power to break down the entire project that the devil has, and has um by which he holds this entire world in bondage. So, Lord God, we leave it all to you and place it into your hands. Thank you for your love. Bless these messages, we pray, and may they motivate us and give us fresh heart, fresh life, fresh spirit, fresh insight, fresh energy to do your will in Jesus' name.